Hey, what's up, Warrior? It is Jeff Anderson from warriorlife.com, and welcome to podcast episode number 414. Look, no one is going to argue that the recent school shooting of 19 elementary students and two teachers in Uvalde, Texas, is a horrific tragedy. And our thoughts and our prayers go out to the families who are suffering with their losses right now. Publicly, there's been a lot of uproar over the whole incident, as there should be. But I wonder if you're focused on what this means to you personally and the lessons that you may have missed that can make you a better protector. Let's talk tactics. Tactical firearms training, urban survival, close quarters combat. Welcome to the show that helps you better prepare for any threat you may face in your role as a protector and a patriot. This is the Warrior Life Podcast. All right. Hey, welcome, everybody. This is Jeff Anderson, Executive Director of WarriorLife.com and WarriorLife Academy. And welcome to this week's broadcast for our podcast. Um, welcome if you are watching us on one of our channels like YouTube or the Facebooks, Instagram. Um, appreciate everybody that's been been jumping in here. Uh, this uh, this uh, topic is going to be a little bit of a departure from, I think, what a lot of people are hearing out on the out on the airwaves right now. Um, as many of you already know, if you watch the news at all, on, on May 24th, a lone 18-year-old gunman entered Robb Elementary School in Uvalde, Texas, just a couple hours away from where um, from where I lived. I've driven through Uvalde before. Um, it's another one of those quaint little Texas towns. Uh where just people know they know you down at the local like HEB or the Piggly Wiggly. It's a it's a charming little town, family oriented town. Uh, people are very close knit there, and they're suffering a lot right now. Uh, on May twenty fourth, when that gunman went into the elementary school, nineteen children and two teachers were massacred by a maniac, and. There's been a lot of a lot of talk, a lot of reports, a lot of a lot of different conversations that are happening around the actions of police that were on the scene there. Specifically, school police chief Pete Arredondo, who is seen as the incident commander on on staff there, he or on the scene, he says that there were um, he was assuming that other people were taking the reins on that. Um, all in all, there were almost 400 officers that were on the scene during that time. And yet the gunman, after entering the school, was in position to be able to shoot for about 70 minutes. Now, this podcast episode is not about politics. It's not about gun rights. Um, Obviously, all of those matters are really taking kind of front and center in the, the networks that are out there, Everybody wants to politicize this. Gun rights advocates want to jump in here. This podcast is not about that at all. There's nothing that you can do about the past. It's a horrific event. We we can't change what's already happened. But there is something that you can do about the future. Schools are going to learn from this. Right? I mean, we've ever since Columbine, people have really started to get a clue about the challenges that we face when it comes to the protection of our children. And for those of us that find ourselves 
as protectors and want to be self-reliant, want to teach our, our, our family, our children to be self-reliant and self-protected. These types of things really call us to be able to learn from these types of experiences. So schools are going to learn from this. They are going to develop new protocols. They are going to get a wake-up call. This was something that was not a foreign topic for Uvalde schools, nor the, the school police chief, Peter Arredondo. This was something that they've already known could happen. In fact, there are requirements for school police and leaders to be able to go through the type of training where you can respond to an active shooter situation. So the schools are going to learn from this, but what are you going to learn from this? And I mean that on a very personal level. What are you going to learn from this? And I think that there are some lessons here that most people just don't even, they don't even get as far as like taking out the mirror, instead of looking at this as a political topic or a, a, a gun rights topic, but start to look at as what can you learn about protecting yourself and your family from these types of things. And I don't just mean if you have children in school, that's certainly a part of it. We've talked about that before on, on this podcast, but I mean, even when it comes to how you protect yourself and your family, and we'll say with, with, with a firearm, but also even without a firearm. So I want to give you three lessons here that I think most people are missing from this horrific event that can at least, at the very least, give you something to respond to for yourself to make you better prepared. So lesson number one here is do not trust your training. Don't trust your training. Now, the police chief, Arredondo, he had about 5,300 hours of on-the-job training. He's been in police. He's been in police. He was a dispatcher. He was a police officer. Um, he's done a lot of different jobs within, within law enforcement. He had over, about 5,300 hours of on-the-job training. And a little over 2,000 of that was in specific challenges, like specific incidents and the response to those incidents. In fact, he's attended multiple active shooter courses over the course of his lifetime. And the last one was in December of 21. Now that's only five months before a shooter came into his school and killed 19 children and two teachers. Five months. Active shooter specific training. And yet with 400 officers on scene, almost 400 officers, and Arredondo as the police, uh, the, the incident commander, nothing was done. They waited. They waited. Now, here's where the lesson is for you. You probably don't have over 2,000 hours of specific training for being able to protect yourself and your family let alone 5,300 hours. So most training, as you can tell, just sucks. Your training sucks. And you don't even know it because of the Dunning-Kruger effect. If you've never heard of the Dunning-Kruger effect, it's essentially, it's like a cognitive bias 
toward thinking that you know something because all you really have is your frame of reference of why you know something. In other words, you don't know what you don't know. And a lot of people don't even know what they think they know. Now, that is very easy to get on, on the surface, right? Like if you don't, if you're not aware of something, how can you know it? How can it be part of your, your skill set, let alone your, your um, repertoire? So how do you know what you know? How do you make sure that you know what you know? Well, you test yourself to prove that you know something. Now, I get it that this requires you to really kind of challenge yourself on this, right? But when it comes to your survival and your family's survival, you don't want to be the Pete Arredondo that has stacks and stacks and stacks of certificates of going through specific training only to find yourself on that day, on that day that somebody invades your home, on that day that you're pumping gas and somebody is somebody comes up to you and tries to rob you. On that day, you do not want to find out that your training was all just a mirage. Now, how you do this is you have to test yourself to prove that you know it. In fact, it's part of our whole neuro... Uh, um, neurotactical programming model that we use for the Warrior Life Academy, because the third layer, the third level of, of you go, progressing through the skills that you need to be a better protector are to apply, verify, and optimize. Now, this is something that we do in the military all the time, and, and a lot of, big part of the, the Warrior Life Academy framework revolves around things that I've learned as an advanced trainer after the military and during the military as well, and the ways that we did things there. So apply, verify, and then you optimize. Apply means that you might have skills that you've trained in, but you need to apply those to specific situations to see if you really do live up to your training. Now, in the military, this is kind of built in, right? We've got like task conditions and standards. We have, um, you know, you, we have pass and fail. We have books, manuals that teach you step-by-step step how to do very specific things. And you learn them in those orders. Now, you might deviate from that when where the, you know, where the rubber meets the road, when you actually have to put stuff in, into place. But you learn that and those guidelines that you give yourself, how you plan your training is all based upon the threats that you have, how you apply the skills to those threats very specifically and then you verify whether or not you actually know them. And then you gauge the gap. You find what is the difference between your intended performance versus your actual performance. If you're not measuring, how are you going to know? You have to have a standard that you're going to train to. And then you're going to have you have that standard that you are going to test yourself by to verify that you have those skills, and then you gauge that gap in between, and that's the next thing that you train. We build that in because it is so critical to this. Now, I I can't speak to exactly what, I wasn't in the classroom with Arredondo, but classroom training, as we know, is not the same as having boots on the ground kind of you know scenario-based training, right? How much of that are you getting anyway? Now, you might be going down to the range. That's fine. But here's the thing when it comes to the apply, verify, optimize model here is you have to be willing to empty your glass. You have to be willing to challenge yourself 
on what you think you know and verify that you actually know it. Now, in the Warrior Life Academy, uh, every month we do a, a warrior workshop where it's an in-depth training on a very specific topic. Uh, sometimes we bring in an expert, sometimes it's me. Um, this month in, in August, when I'm doing this, we are going to be bringing in uh, Jeff Johnsgaard, who is the heir of the uh, the Center Access Relock firearms training system, which is, um, if anybody like, you probably know it from uh, like like John Wick, the 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 type of training or the type of shooting that John Wick does in the movies is, as you can tell from watching the movie, is a very different type of of gunfight uh, training, and so they use Center Access Relock as the as the basis of that. And there are some great merits to that. There are some really, really, um, and I've taken the training before. I've trained with Jeff Johnsgaard um, out on the range. We have a private group that meets and we we talk through all sorts of 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 learning, not just about center axis relock, which now it's it's 360 tactical. It's a, it's been it's evolved now. Uh, and by the way, the John Wick stuff is is not a, an exact duplication of center axis relock. It's it's close, but they didn't want to go the full way with actually hiring somebody that knew how to do it. They just went with some other uh, thing. Anyway, I digress. I digress. Um, but one of the things that we've gone over in our private group with uh, Jeff Johnsgaard leads up is really questioning how much do you really know specifically about how you handle a firearm? How, how do you know that? Uh, this is also something Ken Murray's been in our group also, and uh, for those of you that that are familiar with, uh, just he's he's kind of a legend within the realistic training for law enforcement, civilians, uh, everybody. Just uh, just amazing instructor. And so one of the things we're we'll going over uh, this month in the uh, the Warrior Workshop for our, our academy members is. Um, owning, owning your grip. Now, this was an exercise that Jeff took us through. And a lot of people in this private group are longtime uh, teachers, trainers for law enforcement. Some of these guys are law enforcement. Some of them are military contractors. And this exercise that we went through blew everybody's mind, blew everybody's mind about how much you don't know about what you think you know about something very, very simple and basic that you've already checked the box on and you think there's nothing to question about it. But if you are one of our Academy members, I would suggest that you attend this training. Uh, we'll have the follow-up mini mission after that with um, for applying the principles. But this is going to be a real mind blower, I think, for a lot of you out there, no matter how experienced you are or aren't with a firearm. Uh, if you are not an Academy member, you can uh, first sign up as for a Loot Locker membership. It's for free, and you can just go over to uh, warriorlife.com slash loot, L-O-O-T, and you can go ahead and get inside of there. There's a lot of different, there's a lot of uh, um, uh, resources that are in there that are going to help you with all of your training from self-defense, firearms, and survival training as well. But for those of you that are Academy members, they're all access members. Um, please make it to that training because we are going to show you how to question what it is that you think that you know to be able to optimize it, to be able to use it the right way to really, really make you better protected. All right. Okay. The second lesson that I want to go over related to the Uvalde shooting is to develop frameworks for your responses. 
Now, one of the failures of law enforcement was groupthink. Again, there were about, there were 300, I think there were 376, almost 400 officers there from all different types of law enforcement departments. We had border patrol agents. We had the school police were there. Local police were there. I mean, think about it, people. Four, almost 400 police officers. And they waited while children were being shot. While children were bleeding out in the classroom. Traumatized. And it's hard to even wrap your head around how that could ever even happen. I mean, the actions of of an active shooter are very, very clear. You move to take out the shooter immediately. Immediately. You neutralize them, whether that's through distraction, shooting, attacking, tackling, whatever it is. Your entire focus instantaneously is to neutralize the shooter even at the expense of your own life. And that is drilled into police officers. You don't wait. We've seen enough of these instances now from public, uh, whether it's workplace violence, whether it's nightclubs that have had shooters go in, and schools also. We've seen what happens when people wait, when they wait on the outside and they don't take action. You've heard me say this a million times related to everything that it that we talk about from self-defense, firearms, and survival, that taking fast, immediate action is the most critical element of your response. I learned it in the military because in an ambush, you don't stand there. You've got to move. You have to take fast, decisive action or else you're dead. Now, with that many officers, there waiting around, confused, chaos happening, parents pleading with them to go in there. Parents worried about their their children in the classroom. Are they alive? Are they dead? With all of that happening, nobody made the move to go in until the border agents said, somebody finally made a decision. It's because nobody wants to make the first move. Nobody likes to make the first move. There's too much at, at stake. Now, you can blame that on blaming police for anything that seems to happen out there because you're not in the driver's seat, right? Like you're not there with them. You're not the one making those decisions. So it's always good and easy to be a an armchair quarterback after the fact until it's you in that actual situation, right? Now, attacks are dynamic. Whatever happens after you take action, that's going to require you to be able to think on your feet and be able to respond to whatever the threat is there in front of you. But it's your first action that matters the most because hesitation kills. Frameworks are perfect for this because frameworks that you can develop for yourself are if-then decision-making structures. They remove the thinking from the process. They become black and white. And they because they take away the thinking, I mean, think about 400 officers out there While children are bleeding, nobody can make a move. I can tell you that if I was allowed, if my child was in there, what would you do? You would want to go in there, guns a-blazing, and take this guy out for the sake of your child. That's what you care about, right? 
a lot of times police officers, in fact, you can even see it on the video footage of Uvalde, they went in and as soon as shots started coming back, they ran away and waited some more. And people died because of it. Children died because of the waiting. Some of them bled out on the way to the hospital when earlier first aid, earlier trauma care would have saved these children's lives. Now, I'll give you an example of this of this framework. One of the uh, one of the things for all access members for the Warrior Life Academy is we do uh, these fast classes, and essentially they are super fast classes. They're they're thirty minutes or less, and they're meant to give you the bulk of everything that you need for specific skill sets to make you a better protector. We have the fast classes. There's there's nine fast classes in each one of the different areas. We have self defense, we have firearms, and survival. And so one of the ones that we did for uh, for self-defense is called the switch. In fact, it's the first one in the fast class for the self-defense tracks. And what that is, is essentially like you have to be able to know what your, your line in the sand is essentially. You have to develop that for yourself. And then if that line gets crossed, you flip the switch. Now, the techniques are something entirely different, right? And whatever your attacker does after you strike first, because that switch should not be they're throwing a punch at me. We talk about what, what determines a switch, and we look at what are some of the um, the elements that are, are are part of an actual real fight. We take a look at real fights on, on video, and we take a look at where those where those switches are and then what to do with them. But it's dynamic after that, right? Like after the fight starts... It is dynamic. Another person can jump in there. Um, A dog can jump in there. Like anything can happen and you adjust to those things. But the framework of the switch takes away the thinking because most people will not defend themselves because they think too much. The thinking on the Uvalde school grounds, too much, too much thinking was groupthink. Nobody wants to be the first person to do it because that puts you under scrutiny. You don't want to be wrong. And I'm, you know, obviously I am, I'm assuming, right. That's hard to assume for 400 officers, just, you know, what was going through everybody's mind, of course, but things waited too long with a framework. You have a better chance at that. Now, the problem with the framework with Uvalde was there already is a framework. You neutralize the shooter immediately, even at the expense of your own life. That's what your job is. But what are your frameworks for striking first if if you are in a if you have somebody that is being aggressive toward you of uh, drawing your weapon what are those frameworks that you have all right um we'll talk about that a little bit more here but the third one that I want to go over with you the third lesson that I want to share with you is to redefine how you train so most of you who do own a gun, if you train at all, you're training incorrectly. I'm going to tell you right now, I can promise you, you are training incorrectly. 99.9% of you. And it's not entirely your fault. You're training in what you are trained. But most of the training that's out there is not effective training when it comes to really protecting yourself with a firearm. I know this from experience. From my own experiences, um, even like my my close uh, my concealed carry 
class that I went to when I was first when I was first in Texas before uh, before moving to Florida. Um, I've talked about this experience before, but it was like you know four and a half hours of and it, like it was it was like two I'd say about two hours of talking around why we need to protect our Second Amendment rights when that was not a a block of training that like that was not a two hour block of training in the required class to be able to get your concealed carry license in Texas. But this instructor thought it was critically important that you vote Republican, vote for your Second Amendment rights. And he had videos of testimonies from from victims of shooting where if they had only been allowed to have their, their Second Amendment right in that business, that they would have survived. Went on and on and on until he looked at his watch and said, "Oh my God, we're almost we're almost out of time here. Okay, we have to go through um, all the places that you can have a weapon, places you can't have a weapon, when you can draw your weapon, when you can't draw your weapon, when you can shoot your weapon, when you can't shoot your weapon." And so I'm just going to go. I'm going to go through these uh, slides real quick here. You got to be freaking kidding me! Everybody that left that that class and went off to the gun range. Everybody qualified. Well, they might be voting Republican to save their Second Amendment rights, but they may not be voting at all because they could be spending time in prison because they truly were not prepared. They were not trained to be able to make those proper decisions when you are facing an aggressor and one wrong move can put you in a courtroom. That is an entirely different thing. You have to redefine how it is that you train because the training that you do is most likely going to be really ineffective. In fact, that's why, I mean, advanced training principles are something that we build into the academy also because in that neurotactical programming model, we talk about remfing your training. How do you remf your training? R-E-M-F. Doesn't stand for rear echelon motherfucker. You guys that are are, um, military out there. It stands for those advanced principles that you apply to your training to make them sticky. Because obviously for Arredondo, that class that he took five months earlier was not sticky. He did not take the actions that I'm sure are part of that model because that is a, a, a good, they have a, a good training program out there, the required training, but it wasn't put into effect. It wasn't sticky. And how do you REMF your training? Basically, uh, REMF stands for reality-based or realistic. So you want to make your training as realistic as possible. Classroom training is not going to cut it. Even going down to the local gun range, shooting at a paper target. That is how realistic is that? Even the type of target that you are using, the type of target that you are shooting at, is it just a silhouette? Are you shooting at silhouettes when maybe you're taught to look for the weapon, but you're shooting at a silhouette? Not realistic, right? So that's the R. Um, E is for efficient. A two-hour block of uh, a classroom instruction or a two-hour class that you take is not going to be as effective as doing it in much smaller, shorter sessions more frequently. So those hoorah weekends, you go out there and you're shooting around with the guys jumping over the hood of the vehicles. Like, it feels good. You get a boost of confidence. And this contributes to the Dunning-Kruger effect. Because you think you know it, because you had a great weekend, you can remember this stuff, you went, you got tested, you got your certificate, you're good to go, you check the box. No, you dump that stuff. 
you dump that shit right afterwards. 80% of that stuff is gone within a very short period of time. You're much better off doing smaller, shorter sessions uh, sessions that are done the right way, that are realistic, and doing them more often. That's what builds up the stickiness in your brain. It's actually going to become part of the programming of having that skill set in your brain, that you're going to be able to use it whenever you need it. Now, the M in REMF stands for multisensory. The more senses that you can bring into the training that you do, studies have shown, are going to develop more neural pathways that are going to keep that training inside the long-term storage of your brain. It's going to put it in that programmed part where it becomes instinctive. So the more things you can build in there. In fact, um, you can even go into the loot locker. Um, that, that's our, it's again, it's our free, free thing. There's a, in the loot locker, uh, the free resources that are in there. You'll see that there are some audio tracks that you can use for uh, playing during your training, even during your firearms training. And so by just by doing that alone, it is going to make it more sticky. All the training that you do is going to be more effective simply because of that. And then the F in the REMP stands for fun. If it's not fun, you're not going to do it. Most people aren't doing dry fire. Why? Because it's boring. So we make it fun. There are things that you can do to actually make some make dry fire training something you look forward to and you do more often, which is going to make it more sticky. It's going to make those skills more programmed into your brain so that you can use them when you need to. Now, a real another really good example of this, of taking a look at a REMF model where you can actually learn something and challenge yourself so that you can verify your skills is our Bulletproof quiz, which is a uh, has three video scenarios. It's kind of like a choose-your-own-adventure sort of, of quiz that you can take to be able to really test, are you going to make the right decisions when you are faced with an aggressor and you are armed with a gun. It's a free quiz. You don't have to pay for it at all. You can go over to warriorlife.com slash bulletproof, all one word, and, and just take that quiz. There are, there are three, there are six decisions that you need to make. There are three videos that play and try and see how fast that you can actually go through this quiz. Now, I promise you, no matter how much of an expert you are, and these are not, these aren't tricky, these aren't trick situations, all right? There are things that you could very well have to deal with with a firearm, but it allows you to verify your skills. Verify them. And question yourself, just that process alone is going to make your training more effective, even if you get all of the answers right. Now, most people don't get all the answers right, in which case you have some learning to do. That's where you optimize. That's where you become a better protector. That's where you stay out of prison for defending yourself and your family because you didn't make the stupid moves that so many gun owners make. And if you're saying to yourself right now that, well, that doesn't apply to me because I know what I'm doing, guess what? You just done and Krugered yourself. You just done and Krugered yourself. Go take the quiz, verify your skills, find out where the gap is, gauge the gap, and then optimize your skills. Over to warriorlife.com slash bulletproof. It's free. Just go ahead and take it. All right. Okay. So I'd like to hear what other lessons that you guys have that come out of the shooting from a personal protection standpoint. Again, I don't like to get into the politics of it. I don't want to get into the Second Amendment stuff. Um, those things I have I have very specific 
You know, I have my own opinions on those things, right? But there's nothing that we can do about the past. There's only stuff that we can do about the future. And it's my family that I worry about the most. It's my own safety, my kids' safety, my partner's safety. That's what I care about. What are you going to take away from this event? What are some things that you've learned from this that will help you personally, will help others? Please share your comments. You can do it wherever you're watching this, over on YouTube or Facebook or over on Instagram. You can go to our blog and where this podcast episode is is listed. You can go ahead and that's over at uh, warriorlife.com slash podcast. You can get all of our podcast episodes there. If you want the cheat sheet for this, you can just go ahead. It's inside of the Loot Locker. So again, you can sign up for a free Loot Locker membership and there's lots of different resources inside of there. Um, it's all perfectly, it's all uh, it's all free, absolutely free. So just go over to warriorlife.com slash loot if you want to sign up for the Loot Locker membership. All right, and until our next broadcast, this is Jeff Anderson saying prepare, train, and survive. You've been listening to the Warrior Life Podcast. We hope you've enjoyed the show. You can help us spread the mission of self-reliance and self-protection when you rate us. And leave us a comment wherever you enjoy these podcasts. And don't forget to check out our posts and videos on our social media channels. You'll see a full directory when you visit our website at www.warriorlife.com. We'll see you next time. This has been the Warrior Life Podcast. Prepare. Train. Survive.